What is it like to be refereed by Nigel Owens? How is life at Munster now without Anthony Foley? Who is the key man in Wales' starting 15? And what the hell happened between England and Italy? It's all coming up on The Hard Yards. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Ladbrokes, passionate about sport. With fantastic support, half of Ireland were here. The rest of them are hopefully smiling at home. We had a bet earlier in the year, 20 euros, that if we won it, I wouldn't cry, but it's uh, the best 20 euro quid I'll ever spend. Here's Eastlip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off to Hinshaw! Robbie Hinshaw scores it! Rugby history! Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time! Hello and welcome to episode 5 of The Hard Yards, the Sports Show Rugby podcast. I'm Andy McGeady. With me in studio today are Sports Show Rugby reporter Pat McCarry and former Ulster and Ireland back Paddy Wallace. Imagine it, a back weeks of podcasts and Paddy, you're the first back. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, and on the line we have two more ex-Ireland internationals in, Jerry Flannery. Hello Jerry. How are you doing lads? And Victor Costello. Hello Victor. Hi guys. We'll have Hayley O'Connor uh, from Ladbrokes in later to talk about the spreads for next week's crucial Six Nations weekend and to tell us how the Pro 12 Championship is stacking up. Um, but first, a uh, nice little moment uh, that weekend with Nigel Owens and the ball boy, yellow card and classic Nigel. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he's a bit of a character now. He's, uh, he's quite the celebrity now and uh, he kind of feeds off that. So any opportunity he has to... You know, develop his brand. I think he, he jumps at it, but uh, it adds a bit of humour to the game, and it's it's appreciated by by the players as well and the, the supporters, obviously. What is it like when you're reffing with a, a a guy like that who seems to have a bit of an irreverence to him? I mean, is is that a good thing when you're a player? I always enjoyed being refereed by Nigel because he sort of yeah. Uh, he did things his own way, you know, you could be stuck in Pro 12 matches sometimes with referees who are taking boxes and have assessors in the stands all the time watching them and, and they do everything by the by the book and sometimes that can create a, a poor spectacle for the, the supporters when he's penalising, you know, left, right and centre to break down. I, th- I think Nigel has the freedom because he is such an accomplished referee to do it his his way and, and his way is trying to make the game as entertaining as possible uh, and he refs it that way and and the the I think the players and the supporters get a better spectacle as a result So Jerry, uh, from your perspective now in the pack, um, was was Nigel's voice peeping all the time in the one-liners, was that, it? was that a good thing in your book? Um, I don't think it's like it, it gets overplayed a little bit the the idea of him and, and, and the one-liners and stuff like that, they're there but he's you know, I think I think everyone respects him first and foremost because he's a very good referee, and I'd agree with Paddy. Um, of course, probably when directives come out from from the referees assessors, some referees will actually go so to the letter of the law, they'll go overboard to a degree that will actually, I suppose, it, it stops the flow of the game. Of course, um, I think Nigel has his own; he's enough experience to allow the game to go, and you know, maintaining the standards that are required for of consistency across both sides but he does it with his own kind of flavour and I think he's uh, he's consistent all the time and um, he, he he has the respect of both teams every time he plays because they know he's not afraid to make hard calls and uh, that's basically what you want I think the fact that he sometimes will come out with a couple of one-liners you might think that he's taking the piss a little bit but I think he's just he, that's just his, his flavour that he puts on the game Yeah Victor I mean he certainly seems to have an empathy for the game I think what, what Jerry's getting at there is that the letter of the law is not always what a rugby match needs 
Yeah, I mean, he's certainly flexible. Um, he's a great ambassador for a sport, uh, for the wider wider audience that may only watch certain games now and again. Um, I think he yeah, backs up his presence, uh, his social media presence and his off-the-pitch presence with a huge knowledge of the game. So uh, he's not easily bullied by teams, by captains or indeed coaches before a game. So he has that respect and you certainly need more of the type of Nigel Owens but again it comes down to the knowledge he has and the, the history and tradition he has in the game and the knowledge and experience he's built up today So one thing from last weekend I suppose was you saw another referee and English was not his first language in a challenging situation who I think from my position of ignorance did rather well Roman Poit a person who has not always received the greatest commentary in Irish quarters. Um, Pat, I mean, you're watching the game like everyone else, and it was some very innovative tactics from Italy. How do you think Roman dealt with it? It was good, and it was good to kind of hear from Conor O'Shea at the end of the game to say that they had had that conversation um, before the game, and he let him know that this is what they were going to be doing. So, uh, even though the English players took around forty minutes to get their heads around it, Poit kind of knew what was coming, and um, it was just so interesting to kind of. It's great to have the kind of wrestling sometimes, and to hear what the English players were saying to him, and they were, they seemed completely confused by the whole thing. And I think one of my favourite exchanges about the whole thing was that Haskell asking, "Is it a rook? How can I make it a rook?" And and Poit was kind of going, "Listen, I can't tell you, you know." you're going to have to talk to your coaches like so um, you know not a guy known for, for his sense of humour but maybe maybe we got a chance to kind of see how well he handled it and I thought he did well I think Quat did really well in that situation um, Victor what do you think of the, um, the post-match reaction from Eddie Jones he came out extraordinarily strongly uh, for something that it just seemed that maybe his team just wasn't prepared to, to think on the pitch well I pretty much in, in England the, the media are quite ruthless and uh, going into that game Eddie Jones probably was expecting and hoping for a 70-point drubbing against Italy, particularly at home, if you look at what Ireland did to them away over in Rome, and where Conor O'Shea was trying to stop that. So after the match, particularly at half-time, when it was quite tight, I mean, we all probably knew that England were going to play the power game and blow Italy away in the second half, but certainly for the first half, he probably... Uh, in a PR way, got rid of his detractors by by kicking his toys out of the cot and uh, blaming Conor O'Shea and attacking Conor O'Shea and his tactics, and uh, that probably took the the focus off his his uh, the lack of reaction or the lack of adaptability of his team in the first half, and uh, it's a lesson to all of us in that great picture of of uh, Haskell and Dylan Hartley looking at Roma Watt, who indeed uh, after being tip off, tipped off by Conor O'Shea before the game, I'm sure like everyone else hit hit the rule book to ju- just to check out what would, would possibly happen. But that that scene where the lads were asking, you know, is this right? Is this wrong? That kind of stumped England for the first half, and they didn't have an answer. So I'm sure there was a lot of uh, grievances at half time, a lot of frustration, and that came out in the interview. And like a typical Australian coach, there's been plenty of them, including players. They blame everyone else. So you know, everyone's under pressure in the Six Nations, coaches particularly. And uh, the Pro and Sandwich Brigade were, were, were hoping for a 70 point walk in the park. And when that didn't happen, Eddie Jones reacted in, in, in a manner which I wouldn't say is in tradition of the game, but it caused a, a huge outcry anyway. Yeah, no, I felt it was very disrespectful the reaction from some outlets, Eddie Jones in particular. Matt Dawson uh, can be included in that, I think. Uh, I thought it was very innovative tactics by. Conor O'Shea and Brendan Venter they obviously came with a game plan and they executed it very well and it took to the half 60 minutes before England sort of ran away with that game in the end but Victor's right it could have been a you know a cricket score 
uh, going into the game after seeing what Ireland were capable of doing to it. You know, what is still a subpar uh, Italian team when you compare them to the other nations in the Six Nations now. So they had to come up with something different and they, they produced a very good game plan and uh, the, the English were were flummoxed by it and uh, you know that came out in their reaction but uh, I, th- I think Victor's right it, it hid uh, the inaccuracies in that, that English performance in the in the opening 10-15 minutes they didn't play very well at all and, and Italy only used that tactic as Andy said you know uh, once or twice in the first 10-15 uh, minutes it was uh, you know a per performance and uh, it sort of glosses over some of the cracks in that English performance by blaming the Italians and blaming Conor O'Shea. Yeah, it was extraordinary to watch that match back in detail. Look, so watching sort of every instance, pausing, watching where the players were, which I did because I've no far too much time in my hands. <laughs> um, and it was really apparent when you know what's going to happen, how bad England were. Because for the first seven minutes, they'd given away a knock-on, a silly penalty, they were, given, they were overthrowing a line-out, um, and Italy weren't punishing them. Um, but they should have been much further behind in that game. And this tactic didn't actually happen that often, but it seemed to really upset them. Why, why do you think that the players couldn't react on the field in an organised way? I think they were just a bit shell-shocked because it's the unexpected. They haven't seen it probably before. I mean, I know you know, the, the Chiefs have used it down in uh, the, the Super Rugby before, but you know, it's not something that's, that's happened in the Six Nations or a club level over here in the Northern Hemisphere. So... Uh, I think they they were aware of the the law, but they just weren't in a position to react to it. Uh, you know, Test rugby is a tough environment, and you have to make decisions. And you need good leadership in those uh, those, those times whenever you are throwing a few curveballs, and and you need to react. And you know, you have to get fifteen players to react the same way. You know, it's difficult. And it did take to half time until they sort of came up with a decent game plan, or even sort of thirty five minutes whenever they started picking and going up the middle and keeping the ball off the ground and mauling it a bit more. Those seemed to be the tactics that they employed. They brought Jack Noel on in the second half and he seemed to just pick and go uh, through through the rucks quite a lot. So, uh, yeah, they they, ad- they adapted their tactics, but uh, it, it did take a while. I suppose Ireland are not... Um, we've used the odd unconventional tactic before. Uh, Victor, you were on the field the day of the great... 13 or 15 man line out depending on what your view is um, what kind of planning went into that and do you know if there was a word with the ref beforehand to make sure that he knew it was going on uh, there wouldn't be a word with the ref beforehand um, it was very much you know my idea of these um, left field uh, creations are normally because you actually don't have faith in your players um, so you got to think outside the box and, and, and freeze the opposition for a period of time. Uh, I think last weekend, uh, England versus Italy, the English team came out and realistically the only opposition they had or felt they had before the game was the, was the clock. They needed to be up by 20 points at 15 minutes to go, or, or, or sorry, first 15 minutes and be up by 40 points at half time. And that's the way they were thinking. So, you know, with the 15-man line-out back in Warren Gatlin's uh, day, it was it was a tactic that if we got close to their line that we'd win the, we'd win the line out and uh, we'd have enough people in to to get them all over uh, over the line and score. Now you know obviously at that time we didn't have great faith in this forwards being strong enough to do it, so therefore we needed the added back line. But like everything, Andy, these things are very very dangerous. You know, and if you do have a side that thinks on the spot the way a side should do, um, and this brings you back to thinking, you know, you look at Eddie Jones as a dominant coach. 
is he such a dictator that the guys just have a game plan and can't think on the pitch uh, the way they should be able to think on the pitch so if you do have a side that thinks there and then and, and, and as Paddy said leadership wise as well a captain they say listen this isn't working let's go to the middle as Jerry says and adapt straight away then you're in serious trouble uh, because you've exposed your backline aren't there anymore basically so it's a tactic um, but in hindsight I just think it's just buying time really and from Connor's point of view after the, the Irish game uh, you know he wanted to, to keep the score down and that's an unfortunate thing for Italy because everyone wants Italy to do, to do well but I think that's pretty much all that tactic did do and I think it's it shows that uh, there isn't as much faith in the, in the standard game from a coach if they are thinking out of left field. Jerry, the um, some some might say, which is my way of saying I'm saying it. Um, other teams might have said the choke tackle might have been a similar thing when Ireland started using it. Um, you know, a lot at test level. Did you get a reaction from other teams? Did Did you feel there was one when Ireland started doing that? Um, probably not. Not. It's, it, the choke tackle probably not construed as negatively as, uh, as say not not competing and not forming a rock so that you can you can not form an offside line. Um, the choke tackle was a technique that probably came in predominantly from rugby league where they they try and get you know two men into the tackle each time. So if you're carrying if 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 the opposition are carrying high into the tackle, you may not go for line speed so much. You may not try and have fellas coming up and you know coming up as hard as they can because you tend to maybe lose the integrity of, of your defensive line then but they would try and maintain the integrity as they come up not come up as quickly and if the opposition carry high they'll try and wrap, wrap two players into the tackle and then I suppose when we were with Les when, when I worked with, with Ireland with Les Kiss the predominant thing is we try and get ourselves we try and almost sandwich that, that, that attacker so we could try and get ourselves on the opposition side then and then we try and hold it up um, they're, they're tactics and you just have to prepare for them and if teams have done their analysis well coming in they'll you know, when we play teams, if you look at um, Edinburgh, a team who, who who like to choke tackle, Ospreys are another team that that will that will try and choke tackle. The Ospreys used to be a really hard team at their line speed. They're more about integrity now and trying getting two men in. So if you carry in, you know, one-off runners, and if that one-off runner carries high, there's a good chance that you'll end up getting turned over. So you you make your focus that week about trying to carry your lower and 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 have fellas when when they do hit contact that they work really hard on the ground and. You know, there's, there's pros and cons to both, but you need to be preparing for them. That's why it's good to analyze the opposition, understand what they're trying to do first. I think sometimes what I've learned over the last few years that you know, I suppose when I when I used to play, it was always about like I'll oh, just focus on what we on what we're going to do. But from a coaching perspective, you really need to take it on board what the opposition are doing and, and, and counter that. And then if that allows you to do your plan more effectively, then you're in a you're in a really good place. So that's rugby past. Let's move to rugby future. Um, Ireland's game in Wales. Pat McCarry, Wales say it's a must win. Is Welsh rugby under pressure here? Yeah, oh, massively so. Yeah, like they're they're out of the championship already. And Howley, I was saying, like I mentioned it in one of the earlier episodes, he's under pressure even before the championship started. There's this impression that. Like he is the caretaker, but that Gatlin's off looking after the lines, and Howley's just being left there, you know, pushing the broom, and and he, he's been given a set, uh, you know, thing of instructions to kind of this is how it's going to work. Don't veer too far from the script, and he, you know, he's not really the guy in charge. Gatlin's probably still kind of there, but it's it's like it's a kind of a piecemeal solution for them, and um, and the results haven't gone well. They they probably should have beaten um, England, you know, in that last game out as well, and then. Um, 
again they could have beaten Scotland as well they had to kind of try ruled out but um, a lot you of you mean if Scotland hadn't played well <laughs> well, they, well that, that was a big factor in it as well but they, um, they're under pressure but, and they're playing for pride now Like, so it'll be interesting to see if they make any changes for this so I was saying Sam Davies got another another man of the match performance there for Ospreys so um, you know well it might be good to see him coming in I think a lot of you know Joe should probably be happier in a way that if, if Bigger was to start and if they were to keep, it, keep going the way they were um, Victor, like Wales have only scored five tries in the tournament so far and they've played Italy. Uh, why are they misfiring? I think they're misfiring because of simply uh, Rob Rob Howley isn't as good a motivator as Warren Gatlin is. Um, to a certain extent, some of their club performances haven't been wonderful in the, in the, in the Pro 12. Um, but if you look from Marsh's perspective, six months ago, you would have looked at, at this game as being the biggest threat um, for the campaign. You know, everyone talks about a possible, or we're talking about a possible grand slam against England on Paddy's weekend, but we have to play Wales in the Millennium Stadium. So there are different in that environment. Uh, it's a very hostile environment to play in. So um, I think they've got, certainly got a one big performance in them. Um, I'd be very worried about that game, uh, only for the fact of taking a wider view. Obviously, Ireland topped up the Scottish game by probably thinking in a narrow-minded fashion. So this is the game. They, they have to have to beat Wales away in order to achieve a Six Nations victory and, and for the bigger prize. But it's going to be very dangerous over there. No matter how bad they're playing Wales at the moment, they haven't been far off winning, you know. Many coaches will always say there's, there's not much between winning or losing, very small margins. So I think they're not far off a of performance, but I don't think they've got a strong coach leadership or in terms of motivation or direction in Rob Howley. And I think they've kind of their graph has gone slowly downwards uh, since Gatlin leaves them. Um, now I'm sure he's in the background somewhere, and I'm sure he's stick his head into training um, because ultimately that is his day, day business. But from a large point of view, I think they're going to be still very dangerous. Um, Paddy, off air, you were saying that you were thinking back to an analysis session with Eddie O'Sullivan, and what he was going through is exactly the same way as Wales play today. Do you want to talk us through a bit of that? Yeah, it's it's quite a you know pragmatic style of play, and it it hasn't evolved much in the in sort of the last ten years under Warren Gatland, however long he's been at uh, at the helm, and uh, the Lions adopted as well. Seemingly, it seems to be a, just a, a same way pattern that. They, it's an attritional pattern. They get the fours going around the corner, the likes of Falatau, and trying to get that gain line. Uh, and they use the full width of the pitch, even if they have a five, seven metre blind side, they'll, they'll still keep going the same way and try and reload the backs into an attacking formation in order to, to strike them, either uh, in the middle of the pitch or out wide. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, I mean, if, if Rob Harley has the freedom to, to put his own stamp uh, on the coaching. Uh, you know, once one probably area that that they may may target is uh, the the narrowness sometimes that the Irish team can get into when they're attacking, and with Sam Warburton and uh, Tipperick in the team, they may focus heavily on the breakdown, try and get turnovers, because you can see whenever Argentina were able to turn the ball over in the World Cup and put width on the game, Ireland, you know, they cut Ireland apart, and in some respects, Scotland did the same to them. You know, when they get width on the ball from turnovers uh, they look very dangerous against the, that Irish team So talk, talk me through this so how is it that Ireland's attacking makes Ireland narrow well Joe Smith puts such an emphasis on the ruck and that goes from 1 to 15 so even if you're a back or you know a centre or a winger uh, you're always committed to you're, you're not staying out of the rucks you're, you're heavily involved in that especially when you go wide so 
uh, that compresses sometimes in the attack uh, and Baxian find themselves uh, quite tied into the rocks. So if they turn, if they get exposed with a turnover, then those backs aren't in the wide positions to defend. And that's where mismatches can happen and Wales can put width on the ball and hopefully exploit that from their point of view. Is that a mental thing as well as just the positional thing that you, it's always in the back of the mind that I'm going to have to hit this rock as opposed to... It's, it's, yeah, it's just the way Joe coaches, I think, that uh, you know he puts such an emphasis on your technique at rock and uh, everybody has to be have an ability to do that. Uh, and if they don't, they, they don't lace up their boots for Joe. So... Uh, you know, it's a tactic he employs and has been very, very successful. And uh, you know, it's very difficult to turn the ball over against an Irish team. But uh, if they do get turned over, then it can be exploited as well. Jerry, in terms of a defensive system, how do you counter um, a scrum half like Reese Webb, who is just lethal? Well, I suppose, like we said earlier, if the first place you'll try and get your your defence right when you're starting a uh, starting point with any team is is, is your rugby. And uh, and Reese Webb is a player who who tests you there, but I think I think um, if you look at Andy Farrell, he's probably gonna he's gonna have his homework done on Reese Webb. And and the main thing is that the more you the more you call a guy out, like Reese Webb is a guy who, who who likes to put his own mark on the game, so he's gonna want to make you know a couple of breaks himself. If you give him space, he'll take the early doors, and then he's got his, his you know he's he's got his his confidence is up. But you know if you if you if you keep keep closing off that space he's probably going to have to you know he'll probably try it when it's not on then later on and that's when you know it probably turns against him but he he is very dangerous he's got good fundamentals he's quick he's got a low center of gravity and he's you know he's he's reasonably strong in contact as well so he, he is able to take the ball on there i think the the downside is when you're playing with reese webb is that sometimes he'll he might force that a little bit but he's undoubtedly he's one of the best nines in in europe at the moment so we've got a reasonably settled Irish team, which is a good thing to happen. Until this point, relatively few injuries. So, uh, Pat, what are we looking like in terms of the squad now and potential selection issues? Yeah, there was um, all accounts. Like, and of course, you won't know until the team is announced on Wednesday about Rob Kearney. There, there seems to be a big drama every week. But like, is this guy fit or not? And, and trying to get stuff through. They were watertight about the whole Sexton thing, and, and nothing was getting out about him until until he was named in the team. But it's a sh- it's a, I think we have Delan is out and Andrew Trimble who kind of uh, broke a bone in his hand there and that Treviso win at the weekend so um, the fact that Trimble is out now kind of means they probably won't change that back three if Kearney can kind of prove to them that he's kind of fit you can imagine Kearney staying in there because the other option of course was dropping Zebo to full back and having having Trimble on the wing but um, you can't really see any changes to the, to the starting 15 now and maybe it's just a bench there might be a couple of changes so um, I, I'd kind of thought with Tommy Bow being recalled that he might be back on the bench but then um, Paddy had pointed out uh, a man that I've been going on about all last week and somehow managed to forget Jared Payne is back in the mix so it'll be interested to see if he does come in Victor do they bring in Jared Payne into this midfield? I think that was sending out the wrong signals, uh, to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of talk about it recently. I mean, obviously, you're, you're allowed to have your, I suppose, first choice, your, your place back if you go out through injury. Um, but I think it would be very narrow minded to put him back in. Uh, after the Scottish game, there was a lot of talk about if Jared Payne was there in defence, he's, he's, he's very mouthy in defence and he's very authoritative in defence. Uh, maybe some of the tries might not happen. So I can understand from a defensive point of view um, he, his selection. But I think the greatest legacy from beating the All Blacks gave Joe Smith and the selectors you know, a chance to kind of think of the, the wider view of let's not panic. You know, This team, the Irish team, did extremely well against Italy. 
it was a dogged game against France in the first half, did very well in the second half, so why change the winning formula? So I think it was sending out the wrong signals. Um, I know that this group of players don't really know they're starting until that team is announced, uh, so there's a little bit of insecurity from within the squad as to keeping, that, keeping everyone on their toes. Um, but certainly to have him there, uh, and of course he can play fullback as well as both centre positions, is a huge benefit to the squad itself. But maybe starting might be a bit too much. Yeah, so a useful person to have on the bench either way. I think, for instance, there's a few players in that Irish backline who can shift around a bit. Mm, but yeah. I cannot um, move. On. I cannot talk about the Millennium Stadium without this man in the studio. Uh-huh. I know. Yeah, look, I, I have to. I'm playing bad cop here. 2009 Grand Slam game. Um, Wayne Barnes is your favourite human, correct? He is. Yes, he's, uh, he's a great guy. Love Wayne. Talk, <laughs> to share with the class. Yeah, obviously talking about uh, the time I was able to uh, clinch us the Grand Slam by giving away that penalty. It was a time waste. <laughs> ending Wales' chances to uh, to score a try or kick a penalty, but yeah, no, it was uh, yeah something that uh, is uh, you know part of my career. It's sort of an iconic moment in that giving away that penalty at the end of the the Grand Slam decider in Cardiff. Uh, at the Millennium Stadium, and uh, yeah, very, very bittersweet moment. There's, uh, I don't know where to start. Whenever I talk about it, well, what was in your head at the time when the kick, when the <laughs> kicks, you know, going towards the posts? Yeah, I was in shock. I mean, it's, uh, it was, it was just, just an eerie, strange feeling. I gave away the penalty. The, the Wayne Barnes's arm went up, and uh, you know the enormity of it all just hit me straight away so I, I can only compare it to I was in a car crash when I was 10 years old and I, I went into shock after that and it, it felt something similar uh, just sort of it all hit me at once floated back to the to the post and before I knew it Stephen Jones was lining up the kick and you know it sailed thankfully just short Jordan Murphy caught the ball and kicked it into the stand and I breathed a very large sigh of relief so that was what was in your head, Jerry. What was in your head? Because you were you were there as well. Um, yeah, I suppose say uh, years ago, Paddy, you got you got to let it go. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. Okay, it it was um, it was ner- we were nervous, but uh, I suppose in the end, it just made the whole thing more exciting. Not that, not that I would I would want one of the monster ads to do that now, just to add in. Uh, Make things stir, stir things up a little bit more, but yeah, look at I was uh, I was actually off the field at the time, and I was watching. And I just went, oh god, I hope this 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 kick doesn't go over. And when I saw when Stephen Jones struck it initially, I thought it was good, and as only as it just died, then it was coming to the post. But and I I probably because you're just constantly onto the next thing every week in rugby. I never even realised that that thing might sit with Paddy. I think it was probably. The following Six Nations, buddy, when we were over in Paris, I remember chatting to you about it. Like, and Paulie said to me afterwards, I was there. Paulie goes, "Man, that was like a big thing for Paddy." And I was like, "Oh, I never even, <laughs> I never even give it a second thought because we won the game yeah. and we've done." But I suppose, yeah, uh, okay, yeah it was that's your legacy, man. That's your legacy. <laughs> yeah, it's a shit legacy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was just something that you think of from you know at that time when you know the what ifs of if it did go over and and. You know, it's it's hard sometimes not to think like that. Uh, you mean the parallel universe where that ball goes over? Well, that ball goes over, yeah. and what that means, you yeah. know, Ireland don't win the the Grand Slam, and you know, sixty five years of waiting, you know, we have to wait longer, and 
the disappointment of of everybody involved uh, in the dressing room first and foremost, and then you know the wider scale of the country and, and the disappointment. I think you'd be packing your bags and moving. I'll be moving somewhere else. But there was an interesting answer to that. Okay, so Wayne Burns is not your favourite human at the time. But yeah, what happens next? I, this sounds like excuse making a bit, but uh, he tapped me on the shoulder a couple of months later when he was refereeing another match. And we were at a, at a dinner or something uh, after the game and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, listen, uh, apologies, uh, I checked out on the, the video and probably if I got to the ruck a couple of seconds earlier, I would have uh, penalised the Welsh band for holding on to the ground, but as my view was slightly blocked at the time. But and then whenever I arrived, he looked like he'd come in from the side. But uh, so sorry about that. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but late now. Yeah, there was. Uh, I remember seeing those pictures at the end of the game and and uh, Raj and stuff in the in the the Welsh jerseys and stuff. And Prince William was in there shaking hands and stuff. Did, did he say thanks for trying? Thanks for trying. <laughs> Yeah, he, he was walking around just chatting, shaking everybody's hand and he sort of said to me, why are you so glum? And I said, well, I was the dickhead that gave away the penalty at the end there. So, uh, Your Highness. Yeah, Your Highness, yeah. But uh, he said, well, it didn't go over, so cheer up. So, uh, All right, yeah. give us a prediction for next week. Uh, I I actually think uh, you know Ireland are a much much better side, playing much better rugby at the moment. Uh, I do think it's going to be a bit of an arm wrestle for 60 minutes, but... Uh, and I think I think uh, the the boogies have it quite tight. Uh, I would see Ireland winning by seven to ten points, uh, but uh, I think it's going to be a, a great atmosphere because it's a Friday night as well. I think it'll add something special. I don't think Ireland have played any games in the Six Nations on a Friday night, so it just adds to the occasion as well. But uh, I see Ireland being the better team and, and coming away with a victory, sort of fifteen to uh, you know sort of. 15 to 10 minutes uh, to go I think they'll sort of pull away from the Welsh team Jerry, prediction? Uh, I'd agree with Paddy I'd probably go with uh, Ireland plus 10 at this stage um, I would think that Ireland's tight 5 are probably going to be too strong for, for Wales and I think that they're going to get a lot that's that's going to be a key er, key area for Ireland to get set piece momentum get momentum from the set piece and then I suppose the only way that I can see Wales really getting in and, and, and I agree with Victor that they have they have quality right through their team and, and there's no doubt that they can win the game I just don't see them being able to do it um, the only real thing is like Paddy said when Ireland put or, or if Ireland if they're anyway slack at the breakdown which I know that, that from the lads who, who work with Joe that Joe makes that's, that's the heartbeat of the whole team with with the likes of Tipperick and Warburton and their Win Jones, they're they're good players on a poach. If they can if they can turn them over, then the, uh, there's enough quality in the back line in Wales to, to 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 open them up. But I just don't I just don't see just don't see it happening. I think Joe will have that's the one area that he he prides himself more than anywhere else, and uh, he'll be he'll be well prepared for those odds. And I think that Ireland's type five will really turn the screw on on Wales, and I can see Ireland winning by plus ten points. Right, I'm going to go round the last two very quickly. Victor, give me a score. Uh, I agree with the lads. Uh, seven to ten points. Uh, I think the first 20 minutes is going to be all hope and puff from a West point of view, both the crowd and the team and fireworks everywhere, the whole lot. But it's ultimately Ireland have momentum. The, if the more time that Joe Smith has with this team, uh, which unfortunately he didn't have before the Scottish game, uh, the better this team is getting. So I think the momentum is with Ireland and they're a very hard team to stop. Pad McCarry score I'm not predicting bonus point wins this time um, but yeah Ireland by less than five I'm not going to be quite as confident as the lads but Ireland okay and I'm going to say I've got a feeling in my waters and it's going to be Ireland to win by two 
Okay. Right. That's enough talk about the international game for a while. At least at the test level, we will be back with talk of Ireland legends versus England legends featuring some incredible athletes among us. The Hard Yards on Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. And we're back. And we're going to look ahead to the Ireland legends versus England legends, the Remembering Anthony Foley match at the RDS on Friday the 17th of March at 6pm. There's a good few Irish legends, um, probably some fitter than others at this stage, not looking at anyone in particular, Paddy. Um, Jerry, uh, you're looking forward to the game? Um, yeah, I am, but I'm afraid that I think Shane Byrne is generally the guy who organises this thing every year, so he's probably ended up picking himself ahead of me, which is which is pretty pretty poor form. But I suppose if he's putting in the most of the legwork, then I'll be fresh when I come on. Flannery slams legends coaching ticket. Yeah, I see the headline mm, now. Yeah, uh, Paddy, how's the body? Uh, other than five-a-side uh, football once a week, I haven't laced my boots up at all. So it'll be the first game I've played for about three years, I think now. So a bit nervous, to be honest. Uh, you know, the English team seem to have a few decent players who haven't retired too long ago as well. But it'll be a bit of crack. I'm really, really looking forward to the occasion, and uh, you know, it's a great cause as well. And hopefully, it come, you know, everybody comes out to support it at the RDS. So I'm going to read through a couple of the Irish players that are, um, and this is all subject to final availability, uh, Kieran Dawson, Mel Dean, Simon Mason, Justin Bishop, Alan Quinlan, Mick O'Driscoll, Gordon Darcy, Raj, the list goes on. Now, how about the English side, Pat? Yeah, as, as Paddy said, a few of the lads, he's just recently retired. This, uh, Ian Balshaw is supposed to be playing, uh, Mark Quaido as well, um, World Cup winner as well, wasn't he, in 2003, as well as Lewis Moody, who's going to be there. He's a decent, decent lad. Um, Ugo Magne might, might feature as well, uh, and then Mike Tyndall too. So you might have your, a little bit of competition there in midfield, Paddy. Yeah, by the signs of it, yeah. Ugo uh, Magne will bring on his own cameraman with him. <laughs> Taking selfies of himself he running down the wing. Wearing a bow tie. <laughs> Yeah. He's still absolutely ripped, like as well. He's he's a gym bunny, so he's never out of the gym. You can see him on Instagram and working out with Mel Dean, actually, uh, his former teammate at Harlequins. And uh, hopefully, Mel's in good shape anyway when he comes over to join the Irish team. So, on a, on a more serious subject, um, this is being played uh, in in honour of Anthony Foley. And I suppose Jerry, from the Munster side of things, both personally and professionally, how has life been? Um, I suppose you know you you end up just going getting on going, getting on with things, but it's never it never goes back to normal because there is no back to normal when now because Axel is gone. Um, we reference him every single week, and uh, that's you know you just try and you know you don't ever want to make it cliched when you talk about Axel. Um, or try and be manipulative about trying to get results or inspire performances, inspire results. We we just talk about performance and and and, and effort when we when we talk about Axel because that's all Axel ever wanted, and it's probably something that it only came about after Axel passed that that the focus switched from outcome to to just effort and and just you know giving. I know it sounds it sounds corny, but just giving your all every time you go out, and and I think that that's. The players and and us as a management group, we see it that it's, it's okay to make mistakes when they're when they're you know when they're skill mistakes or you know when you're trying something. But you know, because before we used to we used to probably 
suppose we used to paralyze ourselves a little bit with fear of making an error and that used to frustrate Axel so much and uh, I suppose if anything we just use it as a reminder and, and it gives us perspective on life as well because we used to get so caught up on, on winning and losing and and uh, when Axel passed it, it was a great real eye-opener for all of us really and you know you get on with things but it never goes back to normal as well I'd say Victor, um, how do you remember your fellow number eight? Well, you know, I actually was probably my was my biggest competitor. I, I was, you know, when you're when you're competing for a jersey uh, or for a club against uh, each other or for a province, you, you kind of almost had a degree in in that person. And I played against Axel uh, from Aries against Shannon and Leinster versus Munster, and uh, you know, then luckily enough. While competing for one position, we ended up playing together near the end of my career. Uh, I played six and actually played eight. And, you know, it's it's always a very hard subject um, to go back to because the impact he had on my life was was huge. And and the way Jerry speaks there, and the way Monster have handled this whole unfortunate tragedy has is all it has been so dignified and classy. And uh, it's it's a testament to the guy himself because Axel was one of these guys that just really, really believed in Shannon rugby, believed in Munster rugby, and believed in Irish rugby. He, he, you know, even in the back row in the last couple of matches I played with him, we'd shift around positions in defence and attack. There was no ego, there was no competitiveness once you're in the same team. So there's a huge amount of respect there, and you know the, the fact of his passing. Axel is kind, of, you know, the died word is never used. It's just a passing, and every time there's like this legends game come up, it's kind of guys getting together who he was very much part of of the DNA of everyone there. So it's um, it's a hundred percent what what Jerry says about it. It's it's. It never goes back. It's not a normal situation for people to, do, to deal with. And I, I think the rugby community as a whole uh, should be very proud. And, and, and the, the whole episode of the funeral down in Killaloo, it was a fantastic uh, couple of days. And then it, it lives on in spirit, in a way, with the Legends game coming up. And, of course, there's plenty of stuff that guys are trying to do for their own personal memories of Anthony and his family in the, in the coming uh, year, summer anniversary. So it, it's hard to follow. Um, a lot of guys have done some soul searching, searching in terms of their own medical situations, and we all played in the same team as Axel. We, well, I wouldn't say I had the same fitness levels as he had, but we, we all uh, you know, did the same job, uh, nine, 9 to 5 or 24 hours a day, whatever way professional we was back then. And, uh, you know, he he's, as Jerry says, you can't cliche, uh, he's very much with us, and, and, and you think of him, and you talk about him, but certainly to be cliched uh, when it comes to Axel is something that, uh, you know, when I see Jerry Void, and, and it, it's just something that just doesn't fit, because a guy like himself, so soon, with a young family, um, Axel was a very simple guy, when I say simple, he was very devoted to what he believed in and that was family his father Brendan his history his tradition in Shannon Rugby Club and uh, you know his love for Munster and his love for Ireland his love for Shannon and that was very hard to play against that commitment uh, very hard to play against with, with, with the, the loyalty he had to his, his own family his own tradition and indeed his club which was the heart of, of, of the man himself Yeah I think death is one of those intrusions from the real world that when it 
introduced itself to sport. <clears throat> Excuse me, it can seem very artificial. It happened to me when I was 18. We lost a player in a car crash and for a group of 18-year-old lads, it was certainly a sharpener in terms of the realities of life. Um, obviously, Ulster Rugby went through the passing in Evan Spence. From the player's perspective, Paddy, what's that like? Yes, it's sent shockwaves through through the club and through the community, uh, through the rugby community in Ulster, through Ireland and and further afield. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, it shows uh, the greatness of the sport that that uh, through tragedy like that. Uh, you know the whole sport, sporting world, and community comes together, uh, and uh, it's a very difficult time for all squads involved uh, in, in tragedies like that. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, you learn a lot uh, through those tragedies about both yourself and 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 a, and a, and a you know the benefit of rugby uh, can can help you through that as well and. Uh, you know, it was, it, it was a very tough time, and tough time for for not just the passing of Evan, but also his family, his brother, his father, and uh, everybody rallied around. Uh, you know, his his mother and sister, and and they're still part of the you know the Ulster rugby community, and and when when we can, I think people are uh, teammates are still staying in touch with them, rightfully so, and, and making sure everything. You know that that can be done for them to help them uh, because you know that never goes away for them. You know we we move on, we play r- matches the next week, the next season, and uh, but uh, they're they're he's still remembered. Uh, you know Ulster set up a you know centre to to educate players in rugby, uh, and you know they happily named it after Nevin, the Nevin Spence Centre, and uh, you know that gets kids. Uh, Coming to that every week uh, from schools all around Ulster to to learn about rugby and learn about all the great benefits that uh, it, it brings, uh, uh, in you know uh, from a personal development till I think it's second to none as a sport. So we'll move on to I suppose the happier thing, which is next week. Um, are you feeling competitive about this one? I've got to get through a wedding in New York as well first. I've, uh, Darren Cave, a teammate of mine, is uh, getting married over in New York. So I've got a week week of New York and eating and drinking to get through first before I, I hit the pitch of the RDS. So uh, not much training will be done and hopefully that, that, uh, that'll be the same for everybody involved. At, uh, and there's 30-odd in the squad, hopefully rolling subs every five minutes. Uh, but uh, the likes of Ronan and stuff, I'm not sure it'll be very easy to get him off the pitch he's a, such a competitive monster some guys will be hard to shift off the pitch some like Munch will be maybe quicker to, to look for Jerry to come in off the sidelines What do you reckon Jerry? You reckon he'll be getting a quick run there do you? Um, yeah I think uh, like Victor said earlier like uh, the only thing you really worry about is, is, is getting injuries um, like uh, I had to retire with my calf and I've, I've only I've only played one game since and it was actually, it was uh, Matt Hampson who was um, who was injured and got paralysed uh, playing for an England age grade side, and he was affiliated with Leicester Rugby Club. And um, through Johnny Murphy and through Jordan Murphy, their connections with Leicester, they got in contact and asked if I would take part in a, in a charity game he was organising between like a, a Matt Hampson select versus a Leicester a Leicester Legends team. And, 
and I went over and I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll see how this will go. There was the scrums weren't live and like that, so I thought that, that might that might ease it a little bit. But uh, when I when I when I think back on it, like people think it's like people might think that we're going to just rock up to play the game but I, I was nervous I was so nervous before I played this, this Legends game um, against Leicester the last time this was like two three years ago and I know that I'm going to be the same next week because no matter what way you put it you've played rugby for so long that it is part of your identity that you would hate to go out and, and give a really poor performance or I would hate to go out and give a really poor performance doesn't mean I, you know it's not it's not the be all and end all for me but it's um it still is important, you know, because like I, I've, I've played rugby my whole life and I love the game and I, I want to go and do my best. And what's also interesting is that there'll be a lot of guys there that I haven't played with from that from that Irish Legends team. And and I deep down there's a weird part of me that wants to try and impress them. I want to, you know, you always want to win the respect of your peers when you play. So that's going to be where I am going into it anyway. And I, hopefully I'll get a good run and, and you know, hopefully first of all, there's no injuries and hopefully we. We beat England and, and, and uh, we okay. Oh, Jerry, just remember that, that the sleeves rolled up and the guns pumped for that first line out like everyone remembered and that'll be keep a lot of people happy. So that's Ireland Legends versus England Legends. That'll take place at the RDS Friday the 17th of March with kickoff at 6pm. Tickets are currently available. Victor and Jerry, we'll let you go. We'll come back with Pats Pro 12 and Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes. The Hard Yards on Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes. And we're back with the Guinness Pro 12 Roundup, brought to you by the glamorous Pat McCarry. Hey, how are you? Um, yeah, just was kick it off, I suppose, and it was an absolutely brutal weekend, I suppose, in terms of weather, but um, we actually had a good story on Sports Show about some fan over at the sports ground in Galway you had the umbrella turned into into crap, and they just had it upside down on their head as a as a hat, which is kind of great innovation out west. And, um, but Connacht did enough, like, because on nights like that, as we kind of saw with Ulster, like, it's to get the bonus point is is, is a job well done, and they did that 33 points to, to 13 in the end, and... Uh, yeah, they think they they looked really well. I kind of think that sums up Connick seasons. They had four different guys taking conversions for them. Shows you the kind of injuries they've had, and um, so that kind of sums it up. They got the job done, though. They'll be happy enough with that. So uh, they're within seven points now at a, the Champions Cup places. So they're they're back there, and they have a game to make up against Zebra as well. So they'll be back up there um, sniffing for that fifth and sixth place spot. So um, good weekend for them, and then a really good weekend for Munster as well. They um, they came from behind again, like to to win in Wales. Another good win over over Cardiff. Rory Scannell had to take over as uh, out half there for most of the game, kicked 10 points, got himself a drop goal as well. And then uh, there was a really interesting try in that with uh, Saeedi pretending he was on a rook and, and we were saying it wasn't a rook because there was no men. Kind of, it was kind of similar to the England-Italy thing and, and Nick Williams was caught out with his hands on his on his knees puffing away and Saeedi just nipped up and scored a try. So um, big, big win for Munster. They were kind of in touch. Um, and then we kind of had Ulster as well. Talking about wretched night, um, Paddy would have seen this game up at, up at Kingspan. It was, it was another horrible night. Good to see Jared Payne back scoring a try but they just couldn't get the job done in the end. And, and what did you kind of make of it yourself, Paddy? Yeah, it was a horrendous night. Uh, I think they had a pitch inspection about half an hour to an hour before kickoff, and there was a lot of surface water, but it was deemed playable, and it was just it was it was it was never going to be a glamorous game of rugby. And uh, Ulster uh, didn't come away with a bonus point. They'll be very disappointed. I'm sure Les Kiss uh, read them the the riot that. act after because you know going into half time they had opportunities to score tries and, and they just didn't execute well. And then in the last sort of 10 minutes when they were chasing that bonus point they had a couple of good opportunities that they just didn't take but 
uh, they'll be disappointed because you, you need to take uh, those bonus points from those Italian teams, especially at home. But the conditions didn't help, obviously. But to have Jared Payne back was, was a big bonus, and for him to get through 80 minutes straight away was, was great. And uh, unfortunately, with one in, it seems one out with Andrew Trimble, you know, having a hand injur- injury now. So I'm not sure the extent of that injury, but uh, disappointing for him. Yeah, I thought actually Olding had a great game. He set up Piatta with a great kick there across. He, he was looking well, and um, you know I think but I said some of the young lads are actually looking well. And, and it's, this is a big chance to shine for them, isn't it? In, yeah. in these kind of uh, international breaks, and another couple of lads who did well are the boys down at Leinster as well. We saw Ross Byrne having a great game, and Joey Carberry. Um, they say he's not a full back, but he, I think he gained ninety meters off six or seven runs, and he had a brilliant game. Another two tries for himself. So you know, not a bad fullback option. I suppose if Nisei was out as well, but you were saying you were impressed with them in the second half, Andy, weren't you? That second half performance from Leinster was frightening. Like when they click, yeah. people always say when Leinster click, they're very hard to live with, but this was not Leinster's first choice team. This is the young lads and they were frightening. But it was odd to see how poorly Scarlet's coped with the cross-kick tactic. Once that's happened once, um, you don't let a carbon copy happen again. Uh, but but Leinster did it brilliantly. Adam Burns running off those kicks mm-hmm. was fantastic, keeping the ball alive in the tackle. You had Carberry following up um, and then Ed Byrne crashing over as well, which is another good story, um, having been out for so long. But I think that there's a frightening degree of talent and compared to where we might have thought we were a couple of years back uh, this is just it's amazing to watch it's great to watch and Leinster top of the table with the young lads um, that puts them in a very good place and it's very envious looking looking down from Ulster the, the conveyor belt of talent that seems to come through the yeah. Leinster ranks every year there's just more and more uh, you know players that could you know play at a very high level uh, and uh, they're in a good system there and uh, you know they have strength and depth, and whenever there there are those those breaks for international rugby, uh, you know Lancer are are always very competitive because of the strength and depth that they have. Yeah, they're looking really good. I was just having a look at the points table there, and um, seventy six tries from seventeen games, like so they're nearly averaging just under five tries a game. So it's um, you know they're looking good, and and then they've got around twenty lads to come back as well after the international break. Yeah, the biggest difficulty is fitting all that yeah. talent back in. That that's not bad. So we have been joined by Haley O'Connor from Ladbrokes. Hello, Haley. Hello. Um, what are the odds for the Pro 12 at the moment? Because Leinster are sitting pretty well on top. Yeah, but they're only slight favourites at 11 to 8. Um, Munster are just behind them at 6 to 4. Ospreys 5 to 1. Uh, Ulster 9 to 1. And, and Scarlet's 28 to 1. 200 to 1 bar. And um, I suppose was it, that's it. Like it's You kind of have the lads... Um, you know, to be kind of as you said, a lot of kind of bets going on. But have you kind of seen maybe Ulster kind of slipping up against Saturday so recently? Has their odds dropped off a little bit recently? And Leinster's kind of got even t- tougher to kind of place yeah, a bet on. I think I think they've I think Ulster have, have drifted in the betting. Yeah, yeah. They've, what is it? Um, yeah, they've put some. T- I suppose even the fact that they didn't get a bonus point, people kind of lose a bit of confidence in them, wouldn't they? But. Um, I don't know. As we talked about the, the kind of form that Leinster are in, you can see a lot of people and all of a sudden starting to put money on them. I'd say the price will keep keep dropping as well. Yeah, yeah. They definitely look to shorten in the batting over the next couple of weeks, I'd say. So looking way further ahead, past the Pro 12 mm-hmm. and the Champions Cup and the Six Nations, um, Owen Farrell as Lions captain. Yeah. How likely is that to happen? This is a conversation now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we thought it was about a 12 to 1 shot and... Uh, 
just this week like three or four really significant bets came for him and now he's half that price so he's uh, he's six to one and actually in the player markets then we're also seeing money for uh, Camille Lopez in the points top point scorer for the for the Six Nations um, he was actually backable at 100 to one at the start uh, and he's gone into 11 to 8 and I suppose everyone thought that uh, Machino would, would kick for France that's probably something to do with it so with 37 uh, points he's level with half penny who's who's seven to four just behind him in the batting yeah Paddy when it comes to um, the Lions is the captaincy important for that kind of thing you know when you're a fellow player do you care who's captain no I think it is because you you have a number of different nations coming together uh, you know clicks develop and it takes strong leadership and like that's why Paul O'Connell was was you know so respected as a captain because uh, he he brought that leadership he binded the squad together and and you need that in an alliance team, uh, you know, with the likes of uh, the English and stuff. Uh, they need to buy into to what is the Lions jersey, not just their own nations. And, uh, you know, it's very important to have a strong captain at the front of that. And uh, Ireland have a tradition of having great Lions captains in the past, from Willie John through to Brian to, to Paul. So, uh, you know, for my old man, Rory Bess, hopefully he can make the trip. And he's a great leader as well. So... You know, even if he doesn't get the the captaincy, if if he makes a squad and doesn't get the captaincy, at least he's, you know, on the floor there to to add his leadership, even though not as a captain, maybe. Well, I for one now I would enjoy seeing Owen Farrell as captain because that would mean Johnny Sexton would be there right beside him getting barked at, and yeah. I think that could be <laughs> <Yeah>. hilarious. <laughs> um, I suppose to finish off, uh, Haley, we've got two big weekend, weekends to go in the Six Nations. Um, how are Ireland looking? Ireland actually we, we didn't think there was much between um, Ireland and, and Wales and we've started off that uh, spread just uh, Ireland minus a point but they've been backed into into minus three and the way that it's going Wales have been completely friendless in the betting and they'll probably that could they could be end up being somewhere like plus five um, and then we're five to two second favourites for the tournament England are, are nine to four on um, so uh, we'll see another um, market that's been quite busy actually uh, has been Italy and France and France are currently minus 19 but sh- like Italy even with their shock tactics um, still lost by 21 points so that, that spread could get wider as well So if this weekend goes to plan and by that I mean that uh, England and Ireland are playing each other and England are going for a Grand Slam in a couple of weeks' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paddy, you've been there before with England coming to Dublin mm-hmm. looking to play, looking for a Grand Slam. Yeah. What was that like preparing for it? Uh, a headache because uh, so many people are ringing you asking for tickets that just don't <laughs> exist. You know, the, the, the tights market for tickets will, will go through the roof if, if, that, if it does go to plan and, and England are playing for a Grand Slam. We have... You know, uh, everybody looking to come over and, and watch the game and get a seat at, at the Aviva. So, you I mean it's it, you just sort of bunker in, uh, almost switch your phone off, uh, and try to just focus on the job at hand. And uh, it's uh, it's easier whenever you're out at Carton House preparing uh, or wherever the team may be. But it's whenever you get into the Shelburne and you're in around town and you're you're walking for a coffee and stuff, it's just it takes over everybody's lives. And, uh, it's a great atmosphere to be part of and uh, in the past we've always sort of stepped up and, and been able to produce a performance off the back of that and hopefully that'll be the same if it, if it all goes to plan and it'll be it'll be great theatre if that is the case and you know the uh, it'll just the, the town will be buzzing and with the Legends game the day before and stuff it'll be it'll be a great St Paddy's weekend 
Okay, let's look forward to it, hopefully. Um, time to wrap it up. Uh, I'd like to thank Victor Costello and Jerry Flannery for dialing in. Thank you, Paddy Wallace. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Haley O'Connor. Thank you. And thank you, Pat McCary. Cheers. Uh, Joe Harrington is our producer and Shane Dempsey is on sound. Get in touch by tweeting any of us or at sportsshow.ie and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or through your favourite podcast app. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. The Hard Yards on Sports Joe, backed by Ladbrokes.